And he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord. You know, think about this. The first God encounter that man had that he understood was the breath of the Spirit. The very first thing. Said that God created man and woman in his image, but it wasn't complete yet. Because you can't be really in the image of God without the Spirit of God. You can be human, and you can reflect dimensions of who he is, but until the Spirit of God comes upon you, you are not fully in the image of God. The way that God restores in you what he originally designed for you is by his Spirit. So it's said that God breathed, and the word breathed is the Hebrew word ruach. It's the same word that's translated spirit, word, and wind. He breathed into him the breath of life. It's Genesis 2-7. And throughout Scripture, what you find is that when God wants to bring life to something, he breathes on that something. When the early in the ministry of Jesus, when they were wondering about the Spirit of God, he said this of the Spirit, the Spirit blows where it will. In other words, it's, you're not going to program the Spirit. It blows where it will. You hear the sound of it, but you don't see it. So when the Spirit works, he works in a way that goes beyond our understanding and beyond our programming. We're reminded that nothing that we do is by our own might or by our own power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. What I want you to do in this series is to understand that apart from the Spirit of God, you cannot do anything of eternal significance. Nothing. You can do a lot of good things. You can be kind and you can have great accomplishments. You can be a good person. But you cannot do anything of eternal exp- uh, uh, expression and, and significance apart from the Spirit of the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God his spirit in you and through you. See, the Bible says in Ephesians that 
that our spirit, we have a spirit, a human spirit, is quickened alive by his spirit. So what happens is, in your spirit, it's dead in trespasses and in sins, the Bible says. But when we open up our life, the Holy Spirit comes to infill, and he makes alive that which was dead. And these are foundational principles about the Spirit of God. And unless you understand some of these, you can't understand what God is up to. It says that uh, the children of God, the sons of God, are given evidence by they are led by the Spirit. So you can't even go in the right direction apart from the Spirit of God. The Bible says if anyone have not the Spirit of God, they are none of his. So you can't know God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in your life by faith. But he only reigns in your life by your choice. He might be resident, but he may not be reigning. He can be Lord, but not Lord of all. Until he has you under his submission and under his authority, you can't really function the way God wants you to function. So what we do is we understand that breathing is involuntary. I never have to think about breathing, but I have to think about holding my breath. So it is with the Spirit of God. For me to stop that which is supernaturally natural, I have to, by an act of my will, stop the work of the Spirit in my life. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit will just involuntarily work through me unless I put up a roadblock. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to put up the roadblocks in God's presence and stop what he wants to do. Sometimes what we do is we grieve him. See, the Holy Spirit is very sensitive, and we've all grieved the Holy Spirit. We've all sinned against God and grieved him. When we understand the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, it makes us want to return unto him. We can quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be working in, in our life or in our church or in our family, in our community, and we can pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit and stop his work. Now, these are all preliminary principles that we want to give you as we begin to start. If you study Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, one of the things you notice in the Bible is that there's moments where the supernatural or the miraculous reach heightened points. And there are actually three supernatural generations given in Scripture. And I'm going to start by way of introduction to tell you these so that you can begin to, to frame them in your mind. The first one is the generation of Moses. Now, we all heard of Moses. Before him was Abraham, and obviously there's a, a lot of people that come before him. But the supernatural doesn't really come, and the generation doesn't come until Moses. And all of a sudden, he bursts on the scene with these 10 plagues that he brings upon Egypt, and it's followed by 40 years in the wilderness of miracle after miracle after miracle. And there was a generation of the supernatural called the generation of Moses. Then you have some, some periodic miracles that happen along the way. But then you come to the generation of the apostles, and this is Jesus and the apostles. And all of a sudden, now if you were just drawing mountain peaks, you'd say, here's another mountain peak of the supernatural. Because Jesus comes on the scene, 
He begins to recruit these 12 disciples, and all of a sudden, these miraculous things begin to happen, one after another after another, and you're going, this is amazing. Wouldn't it be great to live in the generation of Jesus and the apostles because it was a generation of the supernatural? And then it appears that the supernatural doesn't exit, but it seems to take a lower level. Just as we see in our church, we've seen a lot of miracles and a lot of supernatural things happen, but we, we can't really compare it fully to what was happening in the generation of the apostles and of Jesus. But I, I have good news for you. There's a third generation, and it's the generation of the second coming. It's a generation of the end time where God is going to again bring back the supernatural moves of God in our midst, in our world, like he did in the generation of Moses and the generation of the apostles. Those days are coming. Now, the one thing we don't know is what time is it? And what I mean by that, what time is it in God's prophetic clock? We've been talking a lot about what's happening in our world and, and can we read anything from the signs that are happening as we begin to talk about the work of the Spirit, we cannot separate from that that which is happening in our world. We want to stay in touch. We want to say, are there any clues that we can have as we study the work of the Holy Spirit? Because whenever we separate out the work of God from history and culture, we become nothing more than religion. It has to somehow, where are we in this scene? You know, we've seen a lot happening, and even today as we pray for those, uh, those people in Florida and in Houston who are suffering so much, I want to just kind of give you an overview of some things that are happening. I want to bring back to your memory there was an eclipse. I don't know why I'm spelling this wrong. All right. Anyway, you got the idea. There was an eclipse that took place, right, on the 21st. Now, I'm just going to put these down. So this is 821. And that eclipse, as it began to unfold, we began to say, well, wow, that's amazing. It's a phenomena of nature. And remember, we said it took a path from north to south. So it started up here in Salem, Oregon, and it ended down here in North Carolina. But what's really interesting about it is along the way, there were actually seven cities that were named Salem that followed the path. Salem is the word peace. It's where we get our word Jerusalem. By itself, that would not be that interesting, but if we, we say, all right, there were seven cities, it was also 70 miles wide, the path of it, and it will be another total eclipse in seven years, 777. Those are numbers of completion. Very interesting. But let me just put that to side for a moment and then just say, let's talk about Harvey and ask ourselves, was there any relationship between the eclipse and Harvey? And most people would say, well, no, we don't think there was uh, anything about that. But it's interesting that it was happened on 825. So all of a sudden we're going, okay, well, that's interesting. What else do you have that you can kind of tell me about? Well, let's just go to, and this is something we don't hear about, because after all, we're really not interested in anything that doesn't happen in our world. Right? But there was a monsoon in Asia that displaced 44 million people and 1,200 people died while we were watching what was happening at Harvey, and that happened on 9-1. Okay? So September 1st, that happened. Well, that's kind of interesting, but then we, we also recognize that you may or may not know this, but the solar flares of the sun, okay, I believe that happened on 9-3. The solar flares, they, uh, this is not a, a normal occurrence that happens. In fact, the solar flares that took place um, 
on, oh, actually, it was 9.6. I'm, I apologize. Let me just fix that there. Okay, the solar flares on 9.6, they took place. I just, I just researched this last night. But the radiation that comes to our Earth from those solar flares on that day uh, is equivalent of, okay, now on the sun but not on our Earth, equivalent to a billion hydrogen bombs detonated at one time. So you say, well, was there, a, was there an effect on us? I, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, in Mexico, there was an 8.1. Let me just put that in parentheses so you don't think it's 8 August 1st. But in Mexico, there was an 8.1 earthquake that took place. Uh, 120 people died. Um, pretty interesting. And then we have on 9.10, let's see here, 9.10, we have Irma. Okay, today. Now, when I put all that together, if I look at that just one at a time, I think, well, that's unusual or, or whatever, but it, it doesn't really pull it all together. But when I understand that God said one of the marks of being that generation of the second coming is there will be signs and the hearts of men and women will lose themselves in fear and they will begin to ask questions like, what's happening in our world? Now, there's always the argument that there's always been bad things, there's always been unusual things happening. That's true, but remember, the thing that guides us is not circumstances, it's prophetic revelation. So when, when we understand that Israel became a nation and it began to set off a prophetic clock, we begin to, to put all the pieces together, and at least we have to ask ourselves, are we living in the generation before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question I want to ask. What I want you to understand is we begin to think about that. If, if, in fact, we are living in that generation, we certainly would say that we have to be in the proximity of it because there's so much happening in our world. I want you to understand something about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the breath of heaven. Do you realize the word inspiration in the Bible? It says the Bible was inspired. Uh, was inspired. That literally is the Greek word. It means God breathed. When you read the Word of God, you're not reading a book. You're reading a book that was inspired by God, is infallible, and it is totally accurate in everything it says. So you're reading God's breath as you read the Word of God. That's really what you're reading. Let me take you to John chapter 20 and verse 22. Listen to what the Scripture said. This is Jesus, and he's speaking to the disciples before the ascension, and he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. Now think about this. They're in the upper room, and he looks at them, and he breathes on them, and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He was, he was bringing them back to Genesis 2-7. Do you remember Adam and Eve? Remember when I breathe into their nostrils the breath of life? I'm breathing into you the breath of life. See, the Holy Spirit is in you for you. Now watch this. This is going to get really, really interesting when you begin to put this together. The Holy Spirit is in you, for you, to give you the fruit of the Spirit, to give you wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, but the Holy Spirit comes upon you for everyone else. See, the Holy Spirit is in you for salvation, but the Holy Spirit can come upon you 
And when he comes upon you, he takes that which is in you and he magnifies it so he blesses everyone around you. So it's never enough to know God and be assured of your salvation and have the Holy Spirit. It is to have the Holy Spirit in the fullness and to have that Spirit of God come upon you and bring power and create situations where people recognize God is on you. Now, let me illustrate that. 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is a very interesting scripture. It's about King Saul, who wasn't the best king. But I want you to know that God, what he does in you, is not because you're perfect. If you think you are, you have another problem. Amen? All right, but what God does is God wants to accomplish a purpose, and sometimes it's not even because we were looking for it. See, sometimes God will bless you and bring favor on you, and you go, I wasn't even looking for it, and look what God did. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'll pick up the story in verse 5. You can read the, the whole chapter later. He says, the prophet says to him, to Saul, after that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. Now notice that he sent him to the place of the enemy. You're going to come to the hill where the Philistines, the enemies of God, are. Now watch this. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them and they will be prophesying. Now look at this unusual situation. You're going to the camp of the enemy. All of a sudden, you're going to see a bunch of people with flutes, a bunch of musicians. They're going to have the tambourine. They're singing. They're doing whatever, and they're prophesying. And it says, then, verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. He wasn't even looking for the Spirit of God. Then the Spirit of God will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. See, you're a new man, new woman, when Christ comes in you, but you can be turned into another man, another woman, when the Spirit of God comes upon you. You see where I'm going with this? It's not enough to be, have the Spirit in you. He must be upon you as well as in you. You see, the Spirit of God in this story was on the prophets, but what was on them got on him. You see, when you associate with people who have the Spirit of God in them and on them, what is on them gets on you. And you are absolutely infected by the Spirit of God in a good way. That's why it's so important to be in community. That's why it's so important to be around people who love God and walk with God and not only have the Spirit of God in them but have the Spirit of God upon them because you want what's on them to get on you. You see how that works? Now, what, the, what happens in those situations in that one in Samuel is the Holy Spirit created a heavenly atmosphere that he literally walked into. We call that the presence of God. When the Spirit of God begins to work, the atmosphere begins to change, and you might say something like, I don't know, I just felt God. That might be the way you express it. Or something was different is the way you explain it. Or you might even have the terminology down and say, no, I felt the presence of God when I was in that situation. And when you get out of that situation, you don't feel the same presence of God. So what is the Holy Spirit telling you? Go back into the presence. 
Stay in the presence as much as you can. That doesn't mean be at church 24-7. It means be in the presence 24-7. That let the Spirit of God be upon you 24-7. You see, because what happens when you get in the presence, you have access to the realms of God. You want to have access. I was in New York City about a month ago doing a book tour, and I wanted to get some money out of an ATM, and I went up, and the door was locked, and the only way you could get in was with, with a, a, a credit card or a debit card from that bank. Now, once you got in, you could use any debit card you wanted, but they weren't going to let you in. I needed access. So what I did, I waited for someone with access. And when the door opened, I slipped in behind them. I got my cash, and I was fine. You see, what happened was I was benefiting from the access they had. Sometimes you don't know how to get the access. You have to wait for the open door. You see, like the Breathe Conference, I'm going to tell you right now, you might think, well, I've got something on my schedule. I'm going to tell you, cancel it. Because it's not enough to have the Spirit in you and be going to heaven. You want the Spirit upon you. And when you see people like we have coming in and a situation like that, you have an opportunity for the Spirit of God to be upon you. And that's critically important. Let's go on a little bit further. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And we're going to be kind of looking at the book of Acts through this series. It says, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Notice the place was important. You couldn't have that anywhere. Guess what? You can't go into the presence just anywhere. You have to, the presence of God has to show up. You have to be around people with the presence for it to show up. But wait for the promise of the Father. So stay in Jerusalem and wait. That's your assignment. Wait. But wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said to you, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So water baptism is never sufficient for the kingdom of God. It's only a picture of what happened in the spirit realm. What the spirit of God does in you is then portrayed outwardly with the waters of baptism. So baptism isn't like the rite of the church that gets you into the kingdom. It's simply saying, no, I already believe and already have the spirit of God in me and on me. That's why I'm doing this. You see, God's breath is God's spirit. God's breath is God's spirit. You ever been, now let's just get a little funny here for a moment. You ever been around any, somebody with bad breath? Anybody? Raise your hand. Ever had bad breath? Right? You know, and when you're conscious of it, what do you do? Hey, I'm doing fine. You know, you're looking for, you got a mint, got gum. What do you do, right? Okay, why is it that that happens? Now, I think about things in different ways, right? I think about bad breath. I think, well, why do I have bad breath? I just brush my teeth. Because something in me is coming out of me. See, sometimes what we do is we try to get our behavior fixed by shutting our mouth. The problem is not our mouth. The problem is our heart. If we deal with this thing, we're going to take care of this thing. See, everything in the natural realm points to the supernatural realm. So you begin to understand things you've never understood before. God's breath is God's life. You can't have life apart from the Spirit of God. Um, God is not responsible for our potential. You are. 
you're responsible for your potential. God gave you every resource you need to achieve great things in your life. And you have a choice what you will do with them. You see, we have everything we need to reach our God-given destiny, but the question is, will we use it as God prescribed? Let me go a little further. The Spirit is the sound of heaven, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all in one accord in one place. Did you notice that? He said, stay in Jerusalem till the promise comes. They were all in one accord in one place. So they were in unity, and they were in the place that God told them to be. They were in one place. And I found that there's something happens when people, when believers are together, that doesn't happen when they're apart. In physics, we call that a critical mass. Those of you who remember those days of physics, those things we tried to forget, but we know that there's something about a large group of something that is more powerful than two smaller groups of equal quantity. When you come together, there's something powerful. Jesus spoke of this whole idea of a critical mass when he said, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. He was saying that one of you apart is powerful, but when two of you get together, you're going to more than double your efforts. That's community. That's what community is all about. So it says they were all in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven. There it is again. God is making sounds. God is bringing. Remember, the Spirit of God moves where he will. You'll hear the sound of it, but you won't see it. Okay. As a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as a prophet gave them, uh, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the two things I want you to really pick out here is one is community. They were all there. They were in one place. There was something happening there. They were in one accord. They said, you know what, we want to be in community. I'm going to tell you this. You will never go to where God wants you to go in Christ apart from community. You can't get there. We need each other. Amen? We need to be able to look each other in the eyes and go, hey, I love you. We're going to get through this. I need to be, on, I mean, to be around people who walk with God so that when I'm not, they influence me. Amen? You see, we're never all got it together all the time, right? We're just lucky to hit, hit once, a day, once a week, right? Okay, let's just be honest. But what happens is the more you're in community, you're inspired and you're encouraged and you're going, wow, that, that's really good and that's so, so powerful and I I'm, thank you for bringing that to my mind. And they were in proximity. That is, they were in one place. I'm going to show you how if you, if you have anybody you don't like, anybody got anybody you like? Don't raise your hand. You don't get along with. God don't like that. Let me tell you how you solve the whole problem. You just pray with them. Try to pray with someone you're mad at. If you want to get in a bigger fight, try to talk through it. Whenever you start using your words and your reason and your intelligence and your desire to win, you are always going to escalate the argument. Just say, you know what, we simply cannot agree at this point, so can we just pray? Then get done and say amen and try to still be angry at that person. It's really hard, right? Hey, well, I'm glad we got that probe. Now let's get back into the thick of this fight. I couldn't wait to get God out of the picture. So we, that's really what we're saying. There's something powerful happens because, you see, prayer is the currency of the realm. It is, is the exchange rate in heaven. And you bring it to earth when you do that. 
The Spirit of God is a restorer of all things. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, verses uh, 19 through 21. He says, repent therefore and be converted. So all of a sudden, here's Peter, the guy who denied the Lord. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes upon him. He stands up on the day of Pentecost, now empowered by the Spirit, filled, and and the Spirit of God is upon him. He says, men of Israel, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And it says they were cut to the quick. Their hearts were wounded. And they said, what do we do? And this is what Peter says, repent therefore and be converted. Religion is not enough. You have to be converted. You ever gone to a foreign country where they have 220 and you have 110? I was, we, we were out of the country one time and I had a 110. I, I grabbed the wrong one. We have a 220 and a 110. I have a 110 and I thought, you know, I really need to use this hair dryer because I got to look good. I'll plug it in just for a minute. I'm not lying. I was that stupid. And it was one of those ones that the plastic was kind of a little bit translucent. You know, you kind of see through it. And I plugged in real quick, and all of a sudden, the entire thing lit up. It was a phenomena for a moment. You got to be on the right current. You got to be. You got to have the right thing happening, and you got to have the right exchange rate. It says, uh, and, and if you uh, converted, that your sins may be blotted out. You ever blotted something out and said, "I'm going to blot that that water out of that carpet that we just spilled on." You blot it out. You lay the down, and it comes. It gets out of there, and it gets on that. He says, "Your sins are blotted out." God takes your sins. He puts it down. He blots them out, and then the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Until your sins are forgiven, you don't feel the refreshment of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the things of, uh, until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. I want you to see three things here, and hopefully I've got room to do this. I want you to see, first of all, the conversion. What conversion does is it brings about something called Justification. And justification is something that happens at a certain time, and it has an effect on your life forever. That is, once you're justified before the Father, you're always justified. Once and for all justified. You can even kind of remember it this way. It's just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. But there's a second word, and it's the word sanctification. And sanctification, I'm going to abbreviate it, looks like this. What it means is I set myself apart unto God. I have to do that day every day, sometimes two or three times a day, right? I say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. I'm sanctifying myself. And it says here, you see, the idea is refreshing requires for me to be in his presence. That is, I need to be sanctified every day. And then the third one is what we call glorification. In glorification... It's something that happens at the end. So one day you will be fully glorified with the Father. You will be made complete in all ways, body, soul, and spirit. So you're justified at salvation. You are sanctified on a daily basis as you commit yourself to him. And one day you will be glorified complete before him. So if we're going to move in the realms of the spirit, what we have to do is we have to ask God to breathe on our life. How would you breathe in my life? The Spirit of God is the life of God. It is the breath of God. It is everything I have. 
And the second thing I need to do is I need to commit myself fully to community. I can't be in, I can't be really fully all God wants me to be apart from community. The reason that we are, we are highlighting for you now and, and, and in the coming weeks the idea of being in community because we believe the best way for you to grow and, and to really to feel family, to feel home, and to have that, that sense of accountability and helping other people have accountability and love and grace is to be in community. And we want to link arms with you in community. We never want you to be able to, to, we never want you to come to church and feel like, I don't know anybody or I'm not connected to anybody or I don't know who to pray with or where to go. That should never be a part of your life. And if it is, we apologize that somehow we haven't helped you get there. But we don't, want to, we don't want that to be the case anymore. We want you to be connected in community, in faith, walk in the Spirit of God. Because this is the way God wants it. This is the way He wants it. It's the way He designed us. Hey, we all need time alone, right? But too much of that makes us crazy. Right? We need to be in community. Let me, would you stand with me right now? I just want to pray over you. And as I pray over you, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to, I want you just to look into your heart and ask yourself a couple of questions. And I'm just going to throw these out. And you can just, as your head's bowed, and you're just praying and considering what the Lord wants you to, to do and to know and to feel and to be. Do you have complete confidence right now that you truly know the Father? See, the greatest community you'll be in is a community of faith, a community of knowing Jesus. That means you've been born into God's family. You've been saved. If there's anything in you that says, I don't know or I'm not sure or no, I want you to know that a simple act of faith, a simple prayer before the Father can bring you into community. A prayer like this one, Father, I know that you love me. I know you died on the cross for me. You're risen from the dead to give me life. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. If you say, I've done that, Pastor, but, but now the next step is, are you in community? I, I don't mean do you, every once in a while you rub shoulders with a few Christians. I mean, are you in an ongoing community of faith with other believers on some kind of a regular basis that allows you to grow, to connect, to be what God called you to be. That's what we want you to do. I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to do that. Say, you know, I don't know what that looks like. You might have a really busy schedule and you say, I don't, I don't have time to do much. You don't have time not to. But remember, you can also build your community group around your crazy schedule, right? It doesn't have to be, well, I don't have time every week. Then make it every other week. I don't have every, how about every third week? How about once a month? Be in community. We're going to ask you when you leave today, and we're after this song, we're going to ask you to go out these front doors here and go outside and just at least taste and see what's out there. Nobody's going to trap you. Nobody's going to throw you into a room and make a community group out of you, right? But just at least listen. Give the Spirit of God a chance to, to speak to your heart about this matter. Amen? Amen? Just pray with me right now. Father, I pray that as we prepare our hearts, God, now to worship and as to, to connect with, in community with people, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would just touch all of our hearts with the powerful love of the Father and the love that we have for one another. 
God, let us let love be supreme in everything we do. Let us be able to, to shake another person's hand and put our arm around them and love them and help them uh, really thrive in the kingdom. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.